trying to improve our mental health. Every day you hear about mental health awareness. Everyone's trying to be a better version of themselves who is less sensitive to the stresses of the world, more resilient, more capable of love, more capable of reaching out to people, building community, and building something for themselves, you know. That's ultimately, you know, that's the thing. All that self-help shit boils down to a very simple concept, which is if you set goals and work towards completing them, uh, then your life will be less shitty because you have something to look forward to. It's something you're building to. You know, even if those goals are arbitrary and stupid or, you know, if they if you craft some sort of importance around them and you're able to accomplish it, your life uh, will seem less terrible. I mean, that's just one facet of, of, you know, how to solve the whole mental illness problem, but it's sort of a, sort of a big, important one. Um, the feeling of progression, the feeling as if you're doing something or working towards something, which is completely illusory, because, you know, who knows what we're working towards? We're all just ping-ponging around. We have an idea of progression that... that you know, something is being made of all this. And I hope there is progression. I hope there is an idea that things are going forward. You know, like like Marx thought we were inevitably progressing towards some sort of communist, well, maybe not utopia, but, you know, some sort of... Uh, there There is an arc to history. But, uh, you know, every day you're met with countervailing ideas of that. Oh, there really is no arc to history. You know, we sort of progress and then... Die, uh, progress and then de-evolve and then progress again and in fits and starts and it doesn't really there isn't this full like we're, we're getting objectively better we can't really say that I mean I sometimes we can you know we got the medicine and the technology but um, yeah I think many people are feeling like we're de-evolving right now because uh, of the whole climate thing. It's like, what good is our medicine, technology, or entertainment, or high quality of living if there seems to be this apocalyptic scenario, which, while still far away enough that you, you aren't that concerned about it, it's close enough that it's like, eh, well, I don't know, why why accomplish anything? You know, why get forward if uh, go forward if we can't solve this? leading to this sense of hopelessness and digression. And, you know, sort of why we called the podcast House of Decline in the first place, because of the very well-observed uh, idea that uh, things seem like they're going, if not backwards, we hit, so we hit peak capitalism at some point a while ago, and now it feels like the, the wheels are starting to fall off of it. Not that it won't you know, some some other system will rise again and then eventually hit a peak. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, our, our current form of societal organization is sort of fraying around the edges and we're at the start of it. Uh, and, you know, uh, but who knows? Maybe maybe something. I don't know. I don't know shit about politics. Don't ask me about politics. But um, I wanted to talk about an aspect of our, our current spectacle based society that is uh, 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 a fucking society, a goddamn spectacle society that is, um, I think, infecting people and making people feel generally worse. Um, and they don't know it because at first when you indulge in this thing, there is this like instant 
twinge of pleasure that you get from it, but it's um, cringing, cringe content and drama videos. And uh, that's what I wanted to talk about today, uh, just because it forms this huge parcel of the internet economy, and, like, people make money, tons of people make money off of it. I mean, like, uh, there's this whole side of YouTube, which I don't venture into a lot because it is uh, very sort of strange and toxic, but, you know, even, even like, the, the genre itself was promoted initially, the YouTube drama genre was promoted by people like Keemstar, you know, these obvious de dead-eyed psychopaths. You know, the, these uh, inhuman, dead-eyed psychopaths. In turn, they make the cringe content, but you are cringing at them because the type of person that would devote their lives to this content pulls you in with their own sort of strange and reprehensible behavior. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I, it's just this... Even, like, on Reddit, there's all this, uh, There's there were all these cringe subreddits, you know, everybody likes a, a story about somebody worse than them, right? You know, everybody, I, I, I think it comes down to this instinct that started with America's Funniest Home Videos, or it, it probably even before then, or, you know, but watching somebody get hurt or somebody in an embarrassing situation, uh, there's a twofold experience. One, you get schadenfreude because it's funny, the, the, the indifferent cruelty of the universe is funny a lot of the times. You know, like Job is funny if you read it in a certain way because it's just like, ah, just terrible things can happen. A horrifically terrible thing can happen to you at any time. Usually it involves you getting hit in the nuts for America's Funniest Home Video. So that's that's the one thing, is the schadenfreude, the pleasure of the schadenfreude. If you know, schadenfreude is, of course, taking pleasure in the misfortune of others. Uh, and uh, the second part is a relief that it's not you. So you get the pleasure of watching somebody suffer, and then you also get the relief that you aren't suffering currently. You you feel uh, better than them. You feel superior. You can you can measure your life against this person. Oh well, I'm not doing so bad because this person just got hit in the nuts. And I think it got it, it translated more and more into this uh, th that that feeling. You know, the Schadenfreude and relief feeling. There became a whole economy for it uh, on the internet. And even spilled out into regular entertainment where you had Tosh.0, which was all about that feeling of, you know, reveling in some weird person and passing judgment on them. And I think the reason why this is bad for your brain, uh, and I think the reason why people are addicted to consuming a lot of this cringe content is because once you have somebody who's objectively doing worse than you to compare yourself to, you're like, well, I'm not doing so bad. So you feel as if that, you know, your life of neutrality or if you, your life of just sort of being regular and or just being regular shitty, you know, you might even be shitty, but you're not as shitty as this person you saw on YouTube. So, you know, you can feel better about yourself. But I think it actually de-incentivizes you from improving yourself because you always have somebody worse to compare yourself to. And I think that's like the big problem 
uh, with these videos as well. Another problem, which is something that I learned through uh, something something that therapy helped me with. You know, we, we everyone's been talking about ah, fucking therapy. Jonah Hill is using the he's using boundaries a lot, which he learned in therapy. So you know, and yeah, we all hate that over therapized. Uh, language, you know, it's be, it's become an annoying hallmark of our of our current uh, communication systems with other people. Uh, but um, something that I realized through therapy is that a huge amount of the discomfort that I felt in everyday life uh, was because I was assuming people were judging me. Uh, I was assuming people were taking an eye of criticism towards me you know looking me up and down and saying oh that person's a piece of shit i'm not, i'm sure many people don't have this paranoia this is something that might apply to me and maybe some of the people who are listening but i also realized the the reason why i was acutely feeling this invisible judgment was because i myself was judging other people you know that's what i do in, in you know just strange and petty ways of course we we've seen the uh the meme of the R. Crumb comic where it's the little man seething at the normal guy. It's like, I hate every fucking person. I, I fucking hate him, you know? And I had that reaction, you know, just commuting to work and finding somebody that was, you know, sitting inconsiderately in the seats or, you know, maybe the music in their earbuds was cranked a little too loud and I could hear it. And, I, you know, in my head, I would be concocting these elaborate scenarios where you know they they get wily coyoted you know they, you know some some terrible fate befalls them because you know they were a little rude on the bus <laughs> and i realized that you know it's it's just so much easier to let that shit go you know to just let minor shitty stuff you you really need to train yourself to let that stuff go to to just be capable of withstanding Every, the everyday shittiness of humans because you yourself are everyday shitty you know you do everyday shitty stuff all the time stuff that you're probably not even aware of so you need to give people latitude to do everyday shitty stuff uh because otherwise you know how can you expect people to give you that same latitude it's just like in the lord's prayer you know christianity not a huge fan but i always like that passage of uh forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? That's, it's just so much easier to live that way when you're not stewing in anger and paranoia constantly. You know, don't stop cringing because, you know, for the sake of the other people, you know, I'm arguing for a very selfish reason. Stop cringing for yourself. It makes your brain healthier. It makes you less paranoid, at least in my experience. I don't know if, if uh, other people feel this way, but... I'm recounting how I felt. Um, but yeah, we have these focuses on these people because I think a lot of us, a lot of the people who do consume that hater shit are like uh, young people especially. I know I loved that type of thing when I was a teenager. And I think part of that hater mentality, which I've talked about before, is when you're not really good at anything, when you're not defined by something you do or something that you put work into, you're sort of defined by your taste. You're sort of defined by what you like. Um, so you adopt all these very strong positions on media 
because that is giving definition to your personality. But I find as you age, you know, tailoring yourself to that, unless you like literally become a critic, but once you become a critic, you actually start making something. You actually start making criticism. You start doing essays. You start practicing an art or a craft. So that's, you know, that advances beyond haterism. But if like, if the only thing you're doing to define yourself is saying, I like this, I don't like this, and people that like this are bad, you know, then it's not very substantial. You won't get that sort of goal-setting, substantial self-help feeling that you sort of want uh, in order to continue living uh, <laughs> or to make life, you know, m much easier on your brain. So uh, I think when you're young, too, you consume a lot of these cringe videos because, like, I haven't done anything yet. I don't, I'm not really confident in my ability to do things. So here are people that are shittier than me. And I can watch how they're shittier than me to think, oh, well, I'm not so bad. Ooh, you know, I'm a good person for hating these people, you know? You know, they're obviously terrible people, so, you know, it's good for me to dislike them. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, I find this feeling wanes as you get older, and you want to be defined less by what you consume and more by what you produce, I, I think, in, in my experience. I think... You know, you could talk about, I, I really do believe the, the dignity of work, you know, uh, not just, you know, not any work, you know, not undignified work, but work that you found that you really enjoy doing and it's a craft that you practice. That is like one of the most mentally healthy things that you can do. And I, I don't think that that could be associated with Protestant work ethic, but I, I really think that part of a big part of trying to be mentally healthy is finding a craft to practice and getting better at it that's like one of the best things you can do for your brain you know obviously there are tons of other stuff you should be you know forging relationships forging communities but i think doing stuff getting better at stuff that is one of the big things and i think if you all you do is watch this content or this content sort of indulges you in this feeling and sort of inures you to inaction because as long as you're being inactive you're not being shitty like these people um and you know i love this stuff too you know i think it is very attractive for this reason you know for the same reason that celebrity gossip is attractive it's uh uh i mean celebrity gossip is different uh in some ways because there's the illusion and well not just the illusion but these people have some sort of power, you know, they sought fame, and this is the tithe they must pay for fame, you know, we must be able to view their lives and, you know, uh, insert ourselves into them, and, because uh, I think, you know, with the celebrity gossip thing, there's also, uh, you know, two feelings you get, one is that celebrities are avatars, uh, of yourself, right? They're like you on a grand scale. I think that's why people really like Taylor Swift. Someone comment. Some there was this discussion about Taylor Swift's awkward dancing, and someone made a very well observed comment that no, the point is she is a mediocre dancer because you are projecting yourself on her. Taylor Swift is like if you, a mediocre person, became the biggest musical sensation in the world. The point is 
like you can easily picture yourself as her because she's like uh, positions herself as an avatar of mediocrity. <laughs> Sorry for Swifty. She's fine. She's fine, Taylor Swift. I have nothing against Taylor Swift. But yeah, the point is she projects a certain averageness about her, which is, I think, why a lot of us uh, indulge in certain celebrities. I mean, some celebrities are not average, which is why you might project your personality onto them. But um, yeah, we, we put them in these avatar positions. But also, along with it comes the schadenfreude. Well, you sought fame... You're rich, so I get to revel in the fact that you're feeling terrible. Or you did something terrible, so I get to pass judgment on you. And it's okay because you're insulated from that judgment because you have power. Um, what's funny is when this just gets... Th this sort of celebrity, uh, you know, that push and pull of we love to raise people up because then we want like to knock them down as well. A strange part of the internet... And uh, what you first saw on stuff like 4chan or Rotten.com or something awful was the the raising of just everyday strange people to this celebrity status. You know, they don't even, you know, just by putting themselves out there on the Internet, oh, they deserve, they, they need the tithe of bullying as well. Of course, the most famous example of this is uh, Chris Chan. And I really understand the irony of talking about Chris Chan at length, which I think I'll do for, for a portion here, while also maintaining that you shouldn't talk about Chris Chan. Who cares? You know, that that's what I want to say, ultimately, is just like, oh, Chris Chan, oh, a mentally ill, weird person did something really fucked up. Oh, OK, that's interesting to you. What effect does this person have on your life? You know, what What are they really doing? The only reason why you indulge on this is because it's like, what a freak, oh, what a freak, you know, it's, it's <laughs> you know, and I understand why you want to do this. It's like that Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where uh, uh, Larry David has the freak book and, and him and uh, John McEnroe are, are loudly exclaiming, ah, what a freak, what a freak, and everyone at the party is... <laughs> Uh, noticing them indulge in the freak book. And uh, I get this instinct. I fully, I fully get the look at this freak instinct, but it's really just the, also the obsession, the chronicling of our life for this 20 years. And the fact that almost certainly this person wouldn't have gone to the extremes they went to had they not been under this just outsized strange campaign of extreme observation and and like bullying and you know doxing and like uh, you know and why did this person deserve it because they were cringe because they did weird stuff i mean you know now we can people can justify it in hindsight because of the the really monstrous thing uh, that happened, you know, and, you know, I'm not saying that uh, what you didn't do is bad or anything like that, but the obsession and the focusing in on it and the, like, you know, we don't, like, tons of people do this type of thing in America, but we don't focus on them because, you know, they don't represent this weird zeitgeisty nexus of internet culture. I guess that was also the fascination about Christian in the early Something Awful days was... This was a person that only the internet could have produced. And there was sort of a fascination with how this this burgeoning network was affecting 
our brain patterns. And this was somebody that was absolutely a product that couldn't have possibly existed uh, before uh, before this technology, which is also what uh, I think the source of initial fascination with Christian was. But then it just sort of ballooned into the, look at how shitty this person is. Aren't we better comparatively to Christian? Who cares? Why are you, com you know, focus on your own shit, you know? If you weren't so busy comparing yourself to Chris Chan constantly, maybe you would have, you know, built that shack by now, okay? You know, stop. And the people that just endlessly catalog it. Why? This is not a person who has any power. They don't materially affect you. Yeah, I, I keep saying that, but I think, I think that is a big difference because I want to delineate between, like, cringe content and stuff that, like, Chapo does by like talking about horrible columnists right because those people I think are worth talking about and worth admonishing and worth hating and worth judging because a lot of them do have material effects on your life a lot of those uh, people represent the um uh intelligence wing of various political groups uh and, and they bear a lot of influence on these political groups uh, who vote in ways that can potentially disenfranchise you, who legislate in ways that actually will materially affect you. So I think there is a greater uh, call to be uh, uh, to, to be critical of them and to be harsh with them and to be judgmental of them because they are doing stuff that materially affects you, you know, that can affect your health care, that it can affect your taxes, that can affect education around you. So yeah, you should be uh, you should be judgmental of these people. But somebody who, if they existed, like, if they never existed, you know, would have not even a tangential effect on your life, you know? Uh, people that fundamentally don't matter to how you live your life but because they are an exceptional or unique type of weird and one a, a type of weird that you can easily deem as reprehensible then you know that's that's what you focus in on and you know i i think you know that uh, part of that is why true crime is popular as well that's why uh, a lot of people have like uh, talking about serial killers too is because once you see the extreme depths of where people can go to there is that relief that well glad it's not me i i think that that's what it is for me at least there is that strange sense of relief you get when you hear about somebody that's living the absolute worst life possible and you just are like oh, i didn't have i wasn't born with joseph callinger's parents you know um and i consume a lot of uh, true crime for that reason and true crime also makes you paranoid but in a different way I shouldn't, I think, you know, sort of the reveling in that stuff, the gleeful reveling in murder is also is bad for your brain, but that's a different episode where I talk about it. Um, although it is it is sort of connected to this. We're cringing with John Wayne. Can, can you believe he murdered all those teenagers? That's cringe. How cringe. But, <laughs> yeah, um... So, yeah, like, these these regular fucks, you know, like, these people that fundamentally do not have the same power over you as, like, a, a politician or maybe even somebody that is more enfranchised by the mainstream mass media, you know, 
these people are if you want to vent your frustration about you know the sickness of our society maybe choose uh these people as targets not to say you can't always look punching down is funny Look, people don't people don't want to say punching down is funny, but it, it is like, uh, unfortunately, the reason why people bully is because if you are part of the bullying group, that shit can be very f funny to you. Because as I've argued before, humor is not a moral thing. Humor is like a response to something extreme or a response to something unexpected, you know. And sort of the, the cruelty of bullying uh, gives that to people, you know. Uh but don't do it. Try not to do it. Try not to indulge in it. Uh, but I don't want to take that away from people because I'm on Twitter where the economy is all about bullying. You know, I've talked about this. I've talked about this before. Um, but yeah, I, I think also that, uh, you know, that, that YouTube drama stuff that like those videos where it's like only the, those video channels where it's uh, they get, I get recommendations for them occasionally. I see stuff like, uh, Turkey Tom or Sunny V2, which are these very funny names I barely know nothing about, but they have these huge followings, these, these big videos where it's like the rise and fall of some YouTube star. There's like lots of videos about the rise and fall of Boogie2988. Yeah, all these, all these cringe characters who, um, I mean, I guess the rationale, especially about the cringe videos about YouTubers, is, like, you're putting yourself out there, so, you know, we deserve to document uh, your various negative moments. That is, that was part of the deal that you signed up for. And, you know, far be it for me to criticize anyone for, you know, making fun of Boogie2988. He's a weird guy, but it's not the occasional noticing of weird people that I'm really after either. It's the the <laughs> vigilant obsession with monitoring every aspect of their lives, which is which is sort of I think the part that I find a little sinister or like a little cop like, a little snitch like, a little DW like. It's that weird panopticon instinct that you have that um that big eye. You wanna become the big Vegas eye, you know, the all observing unjudging thing uh, uh you the eye cannot be judged but the eye can judge other people by virtue of its largesse you know so uh <laughs> yeah yeah i i think uh, i also want to separate this obsessive delineation of these people with another thing that the internet is sort of known for and another type of entertainment that i definitely consume which is something that i term guy identification Obviously, the best example of it now is uh, Murder Brian. He's doing his podcast, Guys, which is about various guys, you know, prog rock guys or uh, 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 loss prevention guys, you know, people, that, people that have a very specific interest. And I think why I, I've listened to a couple of episodes. It's good. You should check it out. And I think the approach that's different there is they're targeting people that don't necessarily have power over you but the vibe is less one of judgment and more of curiosity more of like oh it's interesting that these people exist you know it's it's not so much of like you know fuck you uh, i mean sometimes there's episodes where people have like really morally reprehensible opinions and they'll admonish them for that but i don't think you know there there's less of an encouragement to sort of, like, go after them and obsessively pour over everything they do and, you know, uh, become really uh, obsessed with a single person who's putting their uh, lives out there. 
in a way that assuages your own feelings of inadequacy about yourself. That's less the vibe there. And, you know, I think if you're going to... If you're going to notice weird people, that is the attitude you should take. One of curiosity and less of judgment and one of curiosity, you know. Uh, you should say, oh, but there for the grace of God go I. You know, who knows what decisions in your life, you know. You're always just <laughs> uh, three decisions away from becoming Boogie2988. You know, you're always just three bad days away. <laughs> yeah, I, maybe, I don't know. I don't know about that, but, um, yeah, I think, I think maybe that's also sort of the source of the obsession with Chris Chan is because, uh, Chris Chan is also a projection of things that you might dislike about yourself because you yourself are a product, a complete product of the internet age as well. Maybe your fixation on like childhood products, you know. I'm sure there you know, there's plenty of adults out there listening to this that still love like I really like Pokemon and you know, I want to talk about Pokemon all the time, but I'm thirty. And <laughs> or like, you know, you're twenty five and it's getting a little long in the tooth to continue your Pokemon obsession. I mean, people have fought back against that. There's a whole uh, genre of adults now is just like it's okay. It's okay to not be ashamed of your obsession with childish stuff. And it's like I mean, yeah, it's okay to be it's okay to be obsessed with childish stuff, but you should be a little ashamed about it. You know, you should you should get a little more serious <laughs> as you become an adult maybe, just a little more, you know. Can't be all Pokémon all the time, can it? Usually it isn't. But I I think that yeah, that is one aspect of Christian um is that there is especially you know before the like the really extreme stuff happened is like this could have been me like if i were sheltered and you know i i i wasn't taken care of like didn't receive the right medicine or treatment at a at a young age or didn't have the right support network i could have ended up this uh, strange and isolated you know and i think that's also part of the fascination is that uh that there for the grace of God go I type of thing where you don't want to admit to yourself that, you know, there's some aspect of you uh, that's in this. I, I think it's it's weirdly the same thing with the celebrities. They become avatars of you, whereas like a celebrity is this hyper glamorized version of yourself. You the, the, the sort of like reverse Internet cringe celebrity is this is this hyper unglamorized version of self that you you. And they need to be an avatar because then you can't feel better about you being your neutral version of yourself, you know? You need to be able to empathize with them somewhat. You need to be able to empathize with the Wings of Redemption or, or like a Boogie 298 to really feel that sense of, oh, oh, yeah, I couldn't, I'm glad I didn't do this shit in my life, you know? Um, because ultimately, what all, of the, what all of these people who are seeking attention on the internet want is... We just want love, <laughs> you know, even the sociopaths or the weirdos, we just want to be unconditionally accepted by someone and, you know, uh, capable of experiencing a true intimacy, one that extends beyond, you know, our, our faults and uh, one where uh, people will accept us uh, even though even though we we may do terrible things and i think 
that's sort of a lot of the some of the reason why people seek cloud or people seek entertainment cloud. That's definitely part of the reason why I'm doing it. I figure if you know, if I get enough attention or if enough people like me for my thoughts, you know, then uh, you know maybe I can uh, get some of that intimacy, which is a very bizarre thought because as I'm doing now, you're always. I mean, some people don't do a character. Some people are, like, genuinely themselves, and their entertainment is genuinely themselves all the time. And I strive to do that, but I always understand there's always a performance aspect to doing this. So you are never really receiving a truly authentic version of me, because a truly authentic version of me would be, like, not trying to be as clever, not as on... You know, not trying to be as Gabby or inspired, you know, being a little quieter, listening more, you know, uh, you know, that I think you know, the authentic versions of ourselves and this doesn't apply to some people. But if you're trying to do entertainment stuff, you know, you're always a quieter version of yourself than the one that you present to everybody else, which is also why it's, you know, strange to project yourself onto these people because you're always projecting yourself onto a cartoon character, essentially. Um, so I think that's part of the unhealthy aspect too, is that it's always a fantasy. You know, you want to cringe along with these people, but you have this ultimately, you can know everything about Christian. You can know the entire Christian history, but there's just parts you will never know and can't because you cannot peer into the minds of others. Um, and if you are missing that holisticness, that, that true knowledge of a person that you can only get from actually interacting with them and, and spending enough time with them such that you know their their wants and fears. You know, I don't think you can really say that you're better than them in some ways. You know, I, 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 you're always going off some sort of image that has been served to you. You know, even if you hear they did the worst things imaginable, you know... Um, you really need to understand that people, I mean, I guess this goes into my sort of metaphysical belief in fate, you know, <laughs> as well. Uh, and I, people should be resist. Obviously you have free will, you know, uh, of course you have free will. Uh, you live with a brain that only understands your actions as free will. So of course you've had free will, but the reason we jokingly called this, uh, North America's foremost Calvinist podcast is just because, I do have this strange metaphysical belief in fate and that people mostly are not responsible for their actions. They're just following some weird instinct. So I think that's why I try and give people, even who've done like the worst stuff, like a lot of latitude, if it hasn't actually personally affected me. Like, if somebody has done something, some injustice to you that has personally affected you, or if somebody is continuing to do some sort of injustice, um, then, yeah, that's that's who you should fight. But if the injustices that this person does is only, like, very personal or, like, really limited to a small amount of people, then, you know, just why? Why do you need to fixate on them? They don't, they don't affect you. They really don't affect you. Um... Pick up a hobby, you know, get better at guitar, ride a bike, do do anything else other than just like, well, I'm better than that person. But, you know, I, I'm sure like lots of people who indulge in these videos, uh, you know, they probably do have hobbies. They probably do have saving graces. But uh, 
yeah, I I really want to I I really want to just underscore how bad I think these things are for your mental health, even if you indulge in them casually, because it's also like trains you to see the world in such a way where, uh, you know, there there are all these hidden creeps under the surface. You know, society is burgeoning with these hidden creeps all the time. And I guess there, in some way, that's true. But I, I, another thing that comes to mind is like the obsession with the lurid or the obsession with the, uh, the filth. You know, sort of like a, I, I think there is sort of a freeing aspect to indulging in these people who are living at the fringes of society. I'm reminded of Frank Reynolds at the outset of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where he sort of lived this insulated, wealthy life, and he meets Charlie, and he is instantly attracted to Charlie's terrible lifestyle because there is a sort of a strange honesty, or there's sort of like a titillation in the in the degradation of it. Uh, and, and I think uh, lots of people use that to to some artistic effect i think lou reed used that obviously lou reed is about people living on the fringes of society you know drug addicts and uh people in 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 street life and you know i think john waters obviously is about people who are the filthiest people in the world and living on the fringes of society as well and but i think what i want to hammer on is the main difference is i think lou reed or john waters uh, they have a real curiosity about their filthy characters. I think, um, as opposed to judgment, you know, I mean, they can say like the characters are evil or whatever, but I think there's sort of a weird love for them. They're sort of like, isn't, isn't it good that these people exist in the world? Isn't it good that these absolute fucking weirdos actually exist? Um, it's always sunny in Philadelphia it takes a little more judgment, but actually I think the show is, is, you know, Charlie's a fucking weird guy, but you get to see Charlie and Mac, especially, uh, the show establishes just how fucked up their childhoods were and, you know, how, uh, access and proximity to Dennis and D and their wealth, uh, gave them, uh, sort of their outsized ids, their outsized desire for instant pleasure and, Frank's wealth has only been a more negative influence on them. So I, I do think there is sort of like a curiosity and a love for those characters as well. The I mean, the only the only characters the show are really like has pure judgment for and thinks are sociopathic are Dennis and Frank, you know, the, uh, like have very few. Even Frank has some redeeming qualities as well. The only like pure sociopath on that show is Dennis. So I, I think, yeah, the 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 show generally even though like it shows you that these characters are terrible there is still a love for them um there is still like an acknowledgement of their humanity which i think makes it more substantial or the reason why you're able to stick with them for so long or actually project yourself onto these characters is because you understand their humanity and the way that these drama videos work is dehumanizing people it is not a curiosity you know, these people cease to become human. They become ideas. They become, uh, uh, they, they lose their flesh. They shed their flesh and they become these images, these sort of digital spirits of, uh, of negativity. You know, we can, uh, w here's what not to do. 
um, and we can sh- show this person and expose this person as many times as we want as we want and pass judgment on them because they are not real. They were invented by the internet. They are not human. Um, you know, that's that's what um, I once made a, a post that got a lot of heat uh, because some agreed with it and a lot of right wing people did not agree with it. I once I once posted offhanded and you don't know what posts will get a lot of heat i didn't intend it to get heat but i said something along the lines of you can tell somebody is a terrible person if they use the word degenerate seriously and i use degenerate all the you know i I say you know especially like talking about a degenerate gambler like martin scorsese uses it but there are some people who use it in the way where they say fucking degenerates you know like really they really mean it (laughs) they're really very like and and of course the the implication of that is that they're subhuman. You know, they're not human. They they have ceased to they have de-evolved and they have lost that essential spark um and uh that gives somebody the pause to, you know, assess them as as a whole or assess them, you know, uh with the curiosity and without the judgment. But once they're a degenerate, once they have become a troglodyte, you know, once they're you know, this cave-dwelling non-human, then you can say whatever you want about them. And you can feel good about saying that because they have abdicated their humanity by doing something terrible. Um, and, you know, maybe, the, you know, maybe they have, you know, maybe somebody has done something to- so terrible that, you know, it's hard to forgive them or see them as, as human. But also, I think, you know, isn't that, isn't that the, like the thrust of, especially like Christianity is that endless forgiveness of Christ, right? You know, and well, like I said, I just quoted the Lord's Prayer earlier, not fan of the organization of Christianity, but I think there's a lot of stuff in there that's pretty good. And I think the tenet of sort of a boundless forgiveness or, you know, if you want to be more Christ-like or what would Jesus do is that, you know, the ability to understand that no matter how bad someone does no no matter how bad the thing that someone does you know maybe there is some aspect of them that retains that essential quality of dignity of humanity you know maybe i'm no obviously you know if you extend that idea to it's obvious what you're saying hitler does there extent to dignity no i'm not saying hitler no obviously not but you know, I, I think the big definite, the, there's obviously a difference between Hitler and Christian. One affected a whole lot of other people. There were a lot of negative externalities. And with Christian, there was really only one big negative externality, you know. Not saying that one wasn't bad, but, you know. It, yeah, I, I, I think that's also, I think that's a, another thing that I want to talk about, too, that I've been thinking a lot about. And I think what animates a lot of conservative thought and um, it is sort of a lack of a sense of proportion, like a lack of understanding what should be prioritized or, you know, the negative thing that is, uh, uh, if there's one negative thing that's happening, you know, okay, is it a statistically significant negative thing that's happening? And obviously, you know, it never is, but it's, it's like, oh, it's just so morally bad. We're focused on it anyway. It's like, um, you know, it, it's like how, uh, the conservative focus on detransitioners, this very small population 
uh, of people, this exceedingly small minority of people that detransitioned after transitioning. But uh, instead of focusing on the 90 odd percent of people that, you know, it was incredibly good for, they focus on this 10 percent and exclusively focus, focus on them because it's like, see these people. These people, their 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 lives were fucking ruined, so it's all bad. Fuck the the 90% of these people that gain some sort of benefit from it. I don't know the num- don't don't attack me with the numbers. I don't know the transition detransition numbers, but the point is like the vast majority of people benefit from transitioning, and there's a small amount of people, and I'm sure there are people who detransition that hold no grudges against uh, people that. Uh, for for which the transition was more successful, but there's some people who are very vocal about it and you know want the other people to pay, and of course you know right wing people latch onto it because they want to make this problem into something bigger than the corollary problem, which is like no, if you deny this the the medicine to these th- this much greater amount of people because of the small amount of people y- it's worse you know y- utilitarian arguments don't always work but in this case when there is an overwhelming majority of people that benefit from something uh, you, you know you have to weigh these odds in a society <laughs> and i think that sort of animates a lot of conservative gripes as well is just this under misunderstanding of proportion you know i want lower taxes but uh you know if we all pay slightly higher taxes then you know we can have increased centralization and maybe the quality of services that sort of suffer under capitalism like healthcare, can be improved but you know they don't you know it's it's all about not understanding the numbers and sort of being morally opposed to uh, something on on a metaphysical level. You know, I think that's why you get a lot of appeal to religion as well, because there's uh, certain like deontological things that they can't abide by, even if it is more efficient. I I think, uh, you know, that's always the word that is used with capitalism is the idea of efficiency and, uh, you know, obviously not. You know, you can find a million examples of the breakdown of efficiency of uh, capitalist systems. But uh, yeah, I it's, yeah, who I I'm off on a rant. I'm off on a, a different. But I I actually think that's part of it because like you'll see with the I don't know anything about Turkey Tom, but I know with this like Sunny V two person who's really, like, I watch their videos because I, in turn, am cringing at this person, you know, doing this, like, sort of showing their ass as this, you know, this, uh, uh, what, who is that guy who did life, Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous, this Robin Leach, but this person is Australian, so they the the Lifestyles of, this, of these goddamn YouTube stars who did art, and then they said something racist, but then... It was it was really weird. The Sunny V two person uses these uh, drama videos. Uh, uh, a member of the Mr Beast team came out as trans, and then Sunny V two was like, "Mr Beast has ruined his reputation." I was like, "What? Didn't expect you to go right wing, but maybe I should have expected you to go right wing because I think um, I think part of this sort of judgment thing is that sort of like." Uh, the, the really negative aspect of Christianity, that really church lady aspect, that that overindulgence of gossip aspect where it's uh, uh, like uh, I get my jollies. The thing that I love to do uh, is 
denigrating other people while not really doing anything myself. And I think that is sort of like a big quality of right-wing thought. You know, they prize themselves as being the doers, the accomplishers. But I think for huge swaths of right-wing folks, it's mostly about, you know, holding on to the idea that you are morally superior to somebody because you hold on to these traditional values while they have ventured off into a world of impermissible freedom. You know, so I do think there is that sort of conservative instinct in there, the instinct to say that, uh, you know, anyone who is acting any type of weird, you know, there is no explanation for that at all. It's always their fault. You know, always that personal responsibility narrative as well, because, you know, if you accept the right wing idea that people live and die by their own uh individual free will that you know people aren't a product of their communities or or the world around them or the systems around them or how they were raised if your only thought is that no people are islands unto themselves you know uh, you live or die by your own hand then it makes it much more acceptable to judge them because you know they have they have failed they have been given the gift of free will and they have rejected god by using it, it improperly so, yeah, I, I think it's all part of that, that caught mentality, that observation mentality, that wanting to keep people in line, the identifying the negative behaviors that we must shun is all sort of part and parcel with that conser- very conservative attitude, um, the judgment as opposed to curiosity. And, you know, you should judge people. I, yeah, I'm not saying don't judge people. I guess what I've been saying all this time is judge people if they affect your life in some way. If they don't affect your life, then the way you should approach these stories of weird people doing, like, awful or fucked up stuff is, oh, that's sort of interesting. And that's it. Leave it at that, maybe. You know, don't be like, this fuck, I hate them so much, I have this all-consuming hatred of them. It's like, no, that's weird. And it's bad for your brain. <laughs> you know, it... it it's another aspect of the internet that I call the hot back of the neck feeling, which is this very the the infectious outrage that you get when you like really find somebody that's fucking reprehensible, and it happens like tw- Twitter incentivizes you to do it because somebody will come at you with a competitive argument. And then you'll get the hot back of the neck feeling. And then you'll be like, you fuck. You absolute fuck. You, I, I will destroy you. I will rip your skin off. <laughs> you know, you get, you get that little adrenaline rush from being hyper negative to a person. And, but then after, you get the, the problem that you always get from adrenaline. You end up sort of like nauseous and you got nowhere for the energy to go. So you sort of have to walk it out. And, uh... Yeah, it just like heightens all your systems. It, 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 it's just like I think it's I think it is literally physically bad for you, like eating nitrates or, or something like that. It is, I, I think once you indulge in that attitude too much, if you really love getting into that sort of fruitless outrage, and you should get outraged, but you know use that rage to accomplish something use that rage to organize something in your community if you feel strongly about an issue try and fight it you know try and go door to door try and use that rage to convince people of things you know uh, in real life because it's always if you're actually trying to persuade people it's always better to meet them face to face than on the internet where rarely anyone gets convinced when you're in that sort of argument 
I mean, you know, sometimes people get convinced by stuff. But yeah, that when you're in that rage argument, no one's looking to convince each other of anything. They're just looking to say, oh, here's a fucking asshole. And then get that immediate bit of pleasure from that rage. And then uh, it subsides and you got nothing else to do the rest of the day and you're keyed up. Um, so, uh, yeah, if there's any point to all of this, I would say, you know, continue watching drama videos, continue identifying weird people, uh, and, you know, uh, marveling at, at the depth of humanity, just what some people will do. But, you know, try and do it in less of a way where you are damning somebody like some sort of church lady or god you know try and do it in a way that's a bit more understanding that you know these people are still human at the end of the day they're still human and you have to do quite a lot to abdicate that completely uh in my view you know you have to do you know something along the lines of the nazis in order to really like make me see you as purely like having abdicated that basic humanity um but uh yeah, yeah but yeah i i i think if you take that that approach you will in turn believe that other people are seeing the humanity in you and will forgive your trespasses as you forgive those who trespass against you so yeah that's basically it. It's the Lord's Prayer. That's basically my point. Forgive the trespasses of others, those of a trespass against you. It's uh, it's really like, uh, or have a sense of proportion about it, too. If you absolutely must indulge in that rage, you know, try and direct it towards somebody that actually affects you. Those are sort of my big points. This stuff is, yeah, indulging in this drama or cringe content is bad for you. If you want to, if you want to, like, be productively rageful, try and think of who's actually fucking your life up and turn your rage towards that. And, uh, yeah, that's it. If you like these videos, if you like the, the drama videos, I'm not saying you're a bad person. We all have guilty pleasures. You know, we all, I love true crime. You know, it's, I'm not uh, good. And, you know, it, that's it, you know, you're watching these cringe videos, you're not so great, you know, why should you want people to judge you so harshly, you know, for, for all of, you know, the, the supposedly terrible internet-born zeitgeisty things that you do. So yeah, just be chill. Just try and be chiller, I think is just my general advice. That's a, it was actually it's some of the best advice that I ever got, because I was a very hyperactive a very hyperactive child, a very hyperactive teen, and, like, really constantly, like, on edge and keyed up. And, like, one time, this this kid in, this kid in my school, he gave me the best advice I ever got, which was he just took me by the shoulder, looked me into the eyes, and said, chill. And it was like, oh, oh, you can do that. You can just be cool. You know, you can just be like, nah, man, it's okay. You know, just... Just try and prize a life where, you know, not everything is the worst thing imaginable. Is just a much easier way to live than being like, can you believe this fucking person, this fucking asshole? You know, it's like, 
And it shocks me that people don't strive for this. You know, all my life, that's who I want to be is cool, you know, because I'm this very neurotic, you know, motor-mouthed type of person who's like, uh, feels that if there's any sort of silence in the air, uh, then things are going terribly wrong. So I always, always was attracted to and loved people that were just, had an easy way about them, were just cool. And, you know, didn't really feel as if uh, they needed to judge other people that harshly because they had their own thing going on and they really liked what they were doing. That's who I want to be. Not this fucking church lady who's like identifying all the terrible people and being like, oh, I'm better than them. It's like, okay, show me you're better than them. Okay, show me you're better than them. Thank mm-hmm. you.